Hello, and welcome to Transfusion's monthly podcast. I'm your host, Yara Park. In today's episode, we'll be speaking with Dr. Emily Storch and Dr. Ann Etter, both from the Centers for Biologics Evaluation and Research of the Food and Drug Administration. They will be discussing their recent work, Trend in ABO-Incompatible RBC Transfusion-Related Fatalities Reported to the FDA 2000 to 2019. Welcome, Dr. Storch and Dr. Etter. Thank you for joining us. Dr. Storch, would you please introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Emily Storch, and I'm a medical officer at the FDA in the Office for Blood Research and Review. Thank you. Dr. Etter, would you please introduce yourself as well? I'm Ann Etter, Deputy Director in the Office of Blood Research and Review at the Centers for Biologics Evaluation and Research at FDA. Thank you both. This paper is a fascinating look at fatalities related to ABO-incompatible red blood cell transfusions. Can you summarize your study's findings for us? For this paper, we conducted a 20-year review of fatalities reported to the FDA due to transfusion of incompatible red blood cells. From 2000 through 2019, 80 deaths due to incompatible red cell transfusion were reported from 79 facilities. The majority of errors were found at administration. The next two most common were at laboratory testing and sample collection with a similar proportion in each category, whereas the fewest cases occurred at issue. Amongst all these categories, most cases involved multiple points of error, and failure of patient identification was an overriding theme. Cases were divided into two 10-year time periods to analyze the effects of errors over time. Rates were estimated using red cell transfusion data from NBCUS surveys to provide an approximate denominator. A significant decrease was seen between the two periods, from approximately 1 per 2 million red cell units transfused in the first period to about 1 per 7 million in the second period. This is thought to be largely due to improvement in transfusion practices following the adoption of recommended policies and automated systems for patient and sample identification. Thank you. So what led you to look at this, these fatalities? Was there something specific that prompted the two of you to think about this, or was this something the FDA does routinely? This has been a longstanding interest. For over 20 years, ABO mistransfusion has been recognized as a never event, yet cases are reported to FDA each year. Transfusion-related fatality reporting to FDA is a useful gauge of national transfusion practice in the U.S., despite the limitations of underreporting. So while it's just the tip of the iceberg, that iceberg is in plain sight. So we wanted to look at the collected data. We wanted to look at the reports more closely uh, than gets reported in FDA's annual report to look at the rates and trends in reported deaths after ABO-incompatible red cell transfusion to consider whether the types of errors and failure modes have changed over time. Historically, cases have been attributed to quality system deficits, such as the lack of procedures or a lack of clear or defined roles uh, or lack of training or uh, to manual collection errors, such as wrong blood and tube uh, or WIBIT errors. 
But with more widespread use of electronic patient identification systems and automated processes for patient identification and laboratory testing, we asked if there are uh, different patterns of errors or failures occurring in more recent years, or if the common errors are still common. The good news is that reported fatalities from ABO incompatible red cell transfusions have significantly decreased in the last decade. And this likely reflects the Joint Commission's National Patient Safety Goals, the focus by the College of American Pathology and AABB's accreditation standards for patient identification. In absolute terms, the decrease translates to an average of about 12 deaths per year that was reported historically prior to 2000 to about six deaths per year in 2000 to 2009 to about two deaths per year as reported to FDA in 2010 to 2019. The most important result is a sustained decrease after 2009 and the rate of about one mistransfusion death per 7 million red cells transfused. And what we found was um, that although the cases and situations are multifactorial and complex, the study reveals that practice standards and system improvements that can prevent ABO mistransfusion have not been universally adopted or have not been implemented to their full capacity. This is particularly striking in the, in the wrong blood and tube cases where, where um, institutions may not have been uh, verifying ABO type with a second sample or electronic patient identification, or if they had such a policy, they were allowing exceptions in certain clinical services and didn't require it in some areas of their hospital like the OR or ER, where the Sentinel event then occurred. And most institutions that reported corrective actions to FDA subsequently introduced the requirement. So you mentioned there was underreporting of some of these fatalities. Why do you think that is? Well, under-recognition is almost certainly the leading cause of under-reporting. This is largely in severely ill patients, but this also occurs in relatively healthy patients. Some staff involved in transfusion may not be aware of the reporting requirements or are in an environment that doesn't encourage reporting of errors. I think as a blood banker, I was struck by the fact that four of these cases were due to a technical error in the blood bank. It seemed that some of these were due to downtime and using a manual process. Do you think there are ways we could better engineer laboratory downtime procedures and manual techniques to avoid these types of analytical errors? Well, generally in the blood bank, we saw cases where the wrong tube was tested or the sample was mislabeled. And these cases often occurred when multiple tubes from two or more patients were placed in the same rack combined with failure to adhere to all steps of automation. In other instances, we saw cases of technical error leading to the sample being mistyped. And in several of these cases, the sample was mistyped by two or even three technologists. And yes, as mentioned, we saw cases that occurred due to manual error during electronic system downtime. Some possibilities for avoiding these types of errors include thorough and routine training, competency assessment, and quality control, as well as emphasizing proper use of automation, 
and other necessary elements include having robust procedures and accessible SOPs. I would just add that um, overall, these laboratory testing errors are uncommon, but when they occur, uh, manual process steps were implicated in, in all of them. Um, and some of them, yes, were during the automated system downtimes. So if manual procedures must be used, uh, a good practice would be to verify the types, uh, verify the results as soon as possible with the automated process, perhaps. From the findings in this study, are there any strategies you would recommend that may reduce the likelihood of an ABO-incompatible red cell transfusion in the setting of massive transfusions? Massive transfusions pose challenges, no doubt, uh, no question about it. Um, and they involve all the different types of errors, wrong blood and tube, laboratory testing, issuing administration errors. Um, the, so the interventions shown to decrease wrong blood and tube, of course, also apply to massive transfusion setting. And, and just to point out that, our, that the study did show that uh, 35 patients, or about 44% of the cases, received more than one incompatible red cell unit. Uh, some received many units that were incompatible. So among these, the ones that were wrong blood and tube errors, of course, cannot be detected at bedside. But 15 of the 35 cases with more than one ABO incompatible red cell unit represent additional downstream errors and missed opportunities to prevent incompatible transfusions at the final bedside check. So uh, at the bedside, so I, I would point out two uh, publications, the one that you mentioned, uh, in addition to uh, one by Hensley and colleagues. Uh, at the bedside, a common pattern of error among fatality reports seemed to be an assumption that patient identification must have been performed correctly for the first red cell unit so that subsequent red cell units were not checked at all or not checked in the way that um, was consistent with the, with the institution's uh, procedure or not identified as the wrong unit or units for the patient. So to highlight the two publications that described uh, a fatal case in greater detail, the first is one by Hensley and colleagues and uh, at, from Johns Hopkins, and, and they describe implementation of bedside barcode transfusion verification for intraoperative blood transfusion for every unit that goes into the OR. And they describe the importance of explaining the why behind the safety initiative to all levels of staff. And they really lay out the four phases of how they, um, how they rolled out the safety initiative, um, which included, among other things, communicating the goals and measures across all levels of the organization. And their key lessons that they highlighted were to leverage technology, barcoding and the EPIC uh, electronic health record, record um, to the fullest capacity possible, re-education of staff, about the reason we're taking this on, that there was a fatality at the institution uh, resulted, that resulted from ABO incompatible red cell transfusion, and involving the anesthesia team and patient identification uh, with the OR nurse at the start. And I, I, I'm looking at other challenges like when the patient wristband is not accessible during surgery, how to confirm the barcode match um, with the electronic chart, uh, and other issues. I really highly recommend the report. In the laboratory, uh, Davis and colleagues 
uh, describe in much greater detail another one of the fatal cases um, that did result from uh, from uh, laboratory typing. And they considered, or they identified several changes to their massive transfusion protocol, um, including the need to obtain the initial sample early in the course of treatment uh, when the massive transfusion protocol is activated, considerations for the strength of the forward and reverse reactions that are used to call um, the switch to type-specific red cells, using group O red cells throughout the resuscitation period, and finally requiring review by a transfusion medicine physician before switching to type-specific cells. So I think the most striking thing about the paper was the decrease we've seen over the past 20 years, those first 10 years versus the second 10 years. What do you think are the reasons behind that? The problem is, and the study revealed, that practice standards and systems that can prevent ABM mistransfusion have not been universally adopted or have not been implemented to their full capacity. Beyond following current accreditation standards and best practices, yes, I believe there are interventions and technologies in development that could further improve patient safety. Having said all that, we recognize that even if electronic systems for patient identification are used, they won't be a catch-all and human error probably cannot be completely eliminated. But by looking at these cases, we can start to think about the human factor errors and the cognitive biases that may be occurring, such as, for example, assuming that the first unit was correctly identified, so all subsequent units must be okay, and having robust quality systems. And this will always require staff engagement at all levels in the transfusion chain, defined roles for everyone involved in the, in trans, in the, in the transfusion practice, um, some have considered dedicated or limited staff for phlebotomy or administration, really pressure-tested standard operating procedures, continuing education and training, ongoing competency-driven assessment, standard work process, such as standard phlebotomy trays. Um, studies have, have, have described uh, how the work process can be uh, can involve use of dedicated tubes and so forth. Um, that have been shown to reduce wrong blood and tube errors. But it will be a continuous and ongoing quality improvement uh, effort. And all of these factors remain vitally important. Well, those are all my questions. Is there anything either of you would like to add? Our hope is that the paper will stimulate hospitals and transfusion services to reflect on the reports reflect on the common errors that still result in ABM mistransfusion and patient deaths, and consider possible gaps in their own procedures or processes that could cause or contribute to mistransfusion errors at their center. And that's our show. Thank you to Dr. Storch and to Dr. Etter for joining us for a great discussion. This has been Yara Park for Transfusions Monthly Podcast. See you next time.